0: Today, we welcome a very special guest, Catalina Koslova, coming to us from Dnipro in the Ukraine. Catalina is a musician, a mother, a model, a photographer, a personal assistant slash work therapist to yours truly, and training specialist at IT Testing Center, QA Test Lab. Over to you, Catalina.
1: You're listening to the Drew and Luke podcast. The Drew and Luke is a monthly series of audio essays hosted by Andy Luke. But this time we turn the tables and interview our host in two short interviews. The first was recorded in January 2021 and featured a look at Chaos Magic and his debut poetry collection. Hello, Andy. Nice to see you and to hear you.
0: Hi, Catalina.
1: My first question will be, do you remember when you first came into contact with poetry as a child? Did your parents often read poetry to you?
0: No, I was a complete outsider to poetry and didn't really take to it until I was studying um, Chaucer and Robert Frost in my mid-twenties.
1: That's interesting. Please
0: tell me the story
1: of your first poem. How did you get the desire to write down your feelings and thoughts in poetic form?
0: My first poem that I can clearly remember is a poem about being on the bus and listening to piped-in music, uh, like the elevator music. So I wrote that down, and because of a competition run by Oxford University stagecoach and funded by the Arts Council of England, was happening. So that was a Oxford Journeys Prize, and uh, my poem won, along with about half a dozen other people in 2008, I think that was. And that was put on top of stagecoach buses for about a month. And it's not a particularly good poem.
1: <laughs> it doesn't happen straight away. It's, it takes practice.
0: Yeah, yeah. But well, that one was a winner. And it's kind of reflective of myself being outside of the standards expected for poets and the language it's used in that culture.
1: How does the sacrament of the birth of a poem take place? Does this immediately come to you finished or does it happen to work on individual lines for a long time?
0: Some pieces come fully formed or or rather with a compulsion to write them down and follow a particular perspective. I say that's about half my work and the other half still follows theme and perspective, but it's much harder. It tends to mean constant rewrites, looking to the tools that I have to improve and even now, every poem that I write goes through like six rewrites minimum, often more before I'm happy with what I have on the page.
1: What do you think poetry is? Anyone can write a few lines into a rhyme and only if you are given to breath life into these lines in such a way as touch the human soul, where's the line between rhymed lines and
0: poetry? That's a good question. I'm not quite sure what the answer is. I like rhyming poetry. There's a place for it and I tend to gravitate there. The unrhymed poems and poems where there's not attention paid to syllables and measurement take the artist and the reader into uncharted territory. And often that works through following the artistic thread and trusting in the voice in you and the thoughts and the vision. But oftentimes, it doesn't work as well. I've read an awful lot of <laughs> piss-poor poetry that seems to be wrapped up in a cultural tradition that is aged and looking inwards to this clique. And that writing, more often than not, it doesn't interest me. When you get great poets, obviously, they're producing things of worth. So you do get those in sort of locked in cultural bubbles,
1: Do you think you
0: can become
1: a poet or they are
0: born? Can
1: anyone be taught to write poetry? I'll
0: take the first question. Do you think anyone can become a poet or are they born? I find there's very little support for writing poetry past school years. Well, it it varies curriculum to curriculum. There isn't a great deal of instruction. And we find this in workshops as well. There's not an awful lot of those available to adults. I tend to make a distinction between poems and poetry. So maybe we know what poems are, but poetry for me means any poetical writing, any writing of great artistic quality. So this can happen in movies. This can happen in books, in prose novels, graphic novels. Can anybody write poetry? Yes, if they work hard enough, if they read widely enough, if they write often enough. And it's just about getting up and doing it. Can anybody write poems? Yeah, yeah, simple, punk easy. However, a lot of it is pottering about in the dark. So rhyme is a great way to start. It can rhyme and also syllables can bind an author. And you don't want to be bound when you're setting out. You just want to write a lot. And I think writing a lot is key. When you get deep in that flow state, you often produce poetry without even realizing you're doing it. And you will find pages, You'll, you'll write pages and pages and pages. And inevitably, you will produce poetry and material for poems. It's of a fine standard.
1: Practice and
0: patience.
1: How do you cope with the ups and downs of the muse?
0: with the muse what i've learned is best is just go with her when she's up just walk that path as best you can and embrace it you don't know how long it lasts and so you've got to make the best use of your time and when it comes to the inevitable downs well before that happens it's best to have safeguards I have a number of tasks during my day to do the business end of writing. I write prose, I write short stories. So keep a varied day so that when the muse isn't striking in one particular area that you can go on to something that you like and you feel open to doing. And it's always a good idea to keep certain short projects that you're passionate about something i like about poetry it's short something you can do within an hour or two and keep those for when you need to reward yourself or when you need to transport yourself to a better place and also looking after yourself is a very important one to prioritize clean up your home go out for a walk feed some ducks yeah and what was the first part of your question
1: (laughs) have you ever experienced a creative crisis
0: oh yes yes Yes, I'm making my business to have a creative crisis at least monthly. You know, what helps fend that off is finding a good team of people around you. Other writers, people who support your work and are passionate about it. And Those people, they come and get you through it by being visible in your personal culture on a regular basis. They ask you to write more. They tell you, we love this. I want to see more. I'm looking forward to your next thing. So that's very important.
1: That's a great job. Often the best poetry begins with imitating the great authors as a poet and nobilist. Did you have an example to follow?
0: I read about half of Oscar Wilde's work when I was about 20, and Wilde is amazingly simple to read. His words flow very well. He's very funny. Wilde's work is very smooth on the reader's palate, if you like. Robert Frost is another poet who constructed these wonderful multi perspective tales, very much embedded in nature poetry, but also relationships between people and their environment. Other poets that I gravitate towards um, some of the local ones um, Colin Hassard, Alice McCulloch, Vincent Fox. I don't have many. Poets, because I I tend to read while I pick up a poet's work and then I read that, enjoy that. I generally don't return to the same poet an awful lot.
1: Do you have a specific goal that you want to achieve as a literary figure?
0: A billion dollars. (laughs) And a helicopter. (laughs) Yeah, and and a mountain base. Equipped with 5G and Bluetooth and smart plugs. I want to reach a large audience with my words. I want that audience to interact with me and affect the journeys that I'm taking as an artist and also collaborate with audiences in that sphere of interaction. And I say audiences because it's inclusive of artists. I believe everybody is an artist. It's just a matter of effort. And absolutely, people should feel able to unlock their creative chakra point And there absolutely should be this sort of cross-pollination between professional creatives and hobbyist creatives because they both have very different things different perspectives as in hobbyist creatives generally have full days they're working on other stuff perhaps flipping burgers or nursing or working in an accounting firm so when they get the chance to write they've maybe got 15 minutes a day or half an hour and i have to throw it all in there Whereas professionals or are full-time are much more focused on getting their 2,000 words a day or the big labor of it. And that tends to be, like, so very different perspectives. I would like to make more money. I would like to make films, television, graphic novels or comic books, actually.
1: Television, for example, like scripts for TV shows or TV series or movies
0: or yeah. whatever. Yeah, scripts for television, I've developed a few concepts for drama and comedies and pitch documents and character sheets and sample scripts. And I'd very much like to work in drama or comedy. Actually, I lend myself quite well to comedy. I like to develop stuff for the market for science fiction and thriller. And it's just a matter of getting to the place where I can attract those sort of professional investors in what I'm capable of creatively. I like poetry, though. I think I'll always return to poetry. Poetry is a great benefit for the writer because it's short. Most poems are less than 100 words, so you can write a poem, a very strong first draft of a poem, in under an hour or under two hours, and that's a pretty high turnover when you you look at that.
1: Yeah, I understand.
0: Whereas things like full scripts, I imagine, like, books, that's a full-time attachment, taking years. Poetry is quite different from those other forms as well. And how it looks is quite minimalist. So I was very sceptical of poems, of poemists, for many years because of how the labour looks to the audience. So I had to learn to love it. And you can't produce good creative work unless you love it.
1: I absolutely agree with you. Please tell me, why did you decide to call your poetry collection Chaos Magic?
0: I've always been interested in Chaos Magic. And I felt the title reflected the variety of poems in my first collection. There's straight up silliness, comedy, stuff about politics, animal rights, animal cruelty, aging, the stuff about disability. So there's a massive blend, and I wanted something to bring all that together. And with chaos magic, I've long been interested in writers like Grant Morrison and Robert Anton Wilson. You know, I did tarot cards when I was in my 20s. I used to design my own tarot cards, and that's sort of area of pop occult. I find it very interesting as an art form, and it's certainly, it's fun to think about.
1: All right. What is your favorite poem from your collection? Which of your poems do you think your audience will love the most? May you read it loud, maybe?
0: Let's see. How about oysters out of water who want to be billionaires? As told I wear my one fine fancy suit, polished shoes along Thames embankment, researched but unforeseen signing visitors book private member high-class friends banquet. There are cabinets with declarations, oil masters of masters 12 feet tall in Alfred Waterhouse's neo-Gothic evocation, the National Liberal Club Hall. In Whitehall Court winding up the stairs on Sophie's anarchic secret society entry pass to voluptuous sofa where Lloyd George's arse sat an with down to many a glass. Olive silk curtains and pineapple columns went high long and the checkered carpet deep. Will it muffle my Northern Ireland bedsit accent when I ask for, for Guinness? For Jesus, that's steep. Still Churchill had pheasant, so I'm all in. But I wonder if I'm supposed to be here. Then I think of Horatio Bottomley's sin. He turned the war off and spread to gin. And Churchill's shite about the titanic fraud, Trevich Lincoln stealing from the mail. Keys held by George the Chapters, serene of God. He stripped club's assets, emptied freezer of quail. Above we did explore all the stately rooms, pause at an unmarked door where Sophie thinks. Maybe toilets. Yes, no queue lady booze. Luxurious hand lotion on 27 sinks. And a pheasant bone in my cheek does hide. Twice now I've gone gob to napkin. Two pristine waiters come at his table side. Will ground bone give me indigestion? It's all research from my magnum opus. Private iron beer by the fireplace. So I now club stationery for my poems and mail them to me, mates.
1: That's amazing. I guess there is a story behind this poem.
0: It was the idea of somebody like myself who spent his 20s living in one-room bed sets that weren't uh, particularly nice. It was only the bare minimum and living on the poverty line and being transported down to this private institution where they served oysters and pheasant and everything was so very much the pinnacle of the british elite society that's that's one of my favorite ones in the book there's also a political piece that i wrote about news international and rebecca brooks and the levison inquiry i think i'm really drawn to a lot of my own quieter pieces that are much more personal like migrant which is about the ferries going from Belfast to Stranraer in the 1980s. Diffusion, which is about unrequited love. Handlebars, which is about growing up on a street in the suburbs of Belfast.
1: I remember Diffusion and I really love it. It's very romantic, <laughs> as to me. Thanks. Which of your poems from Chaos Magic could be used as lyrics for a song?
0: Oh, that's that's quite a good question. I would quite like to hear the piece I wrote on News International, Backs to the Racks. I could picture Rage Against a Machine doing a fantastic justice to that or System of a Down, or King Missile. Yeah, the Ballad of Farset Labs is is nice. It's quite a long one. It's got quite a folk element.
1: I'm sure you can convince someone.
0: Reduce to Fear is based on Psalm 23, so maybe we can get a Mormon chorus to work on that. Uh, the A-Team Tense as well follows the a theme tune, Mike Post's arrangement. So music does play a big part in my poems.
1: The last question I have, is Chaos Magic illustrated?
0: Will Chaos Magic be illustrated? Um, I'd like that. Artist Susanna Raymond has already done a few sketch drawings that are really nice. There is a possibility in a few years that if it proves popular enough, depending on how long it takes to prove popular. A set of photographs could be produced to accompany it. I've done that for my second poetry collection, which is already on Patreon. Not sure of a release date just yet, maybe sometime 2022. I very much like the idea of minimalist cartoonists like Susanna producing work to sit alongside the poems. And there's been some fabulous examples of comic book artists adapting poems and song lyrics, uh, adopting those into a fuller form. So I think there's definitely a possibility for that. And tell me a little bit about your new work, Occupied. Okay, so Occupied, I'm just going to read from the blurb first because I'm a little bit flustered. It's 2011 and the people of Belfast, Northern Ireland, stand up to austerity as part of a global protest movement with camping So there's young intellectual Owen, student organiser Kat, fevered idealist Leon and Padraig, who's maybe just there for the crack. As they pitch their tents in the sleepy cathedral quarter, visitors congregate, celebrities, trolls, activists with lofty ambitions. Though small in profile, they give food, training and social support. They become family amid the mud, snow, insomnia and paranoia against the dying of the light. Why is that for a back cover blurb?
1: Well, yeah, that's very captivating.
0: You were asking about my influences um, coming on to this. And I think it's, it's very much got a fast-paced dialogue style to it. So for that, I'm drawing from people like um, J.M.D. Mateus, a comic book author wrote the Justice League International series, from the MASH TV series, uh, a British TV series called Press Gang, which was written by Stephen Moffat. It's very fast-paced dialogue a lot of the time, quite a lot of light humour. But I'm also bringing in work from prose novelists as well, like Oscar Oscar Wilde, with his wonderful gift for language, and Ronnie Doyle, one of the more contemporary Irish authors I like, as well as um, Colin Bateman, who's, who's from uh, my own hometown of Bangor who does wonderfully funny stuff. So Occupied is, yes, it's pretty much about a group of protesters and activists in Belfast who set up a a camp in a public space with tents and a soup kitchen and placards. And they attract all sorts of people. And it's very much about them establishing a sense of community. There is a political angle of of the Occupy movement, which was all about combating austerity measures at a time when... The financial crash was really beginning to be felt through um, the south of Ireland and the north as well, where the story set. So you've got people losing their homes, losing their benefits, losing their jobs. But essentially, it's a group of people learning to live with one another in quite harsh elements. And although they have a broad consensus, they, they bicker, they talk about anything other than politics they talk about one another behind each other's back. They talk about television and film and comic books. So lots of small things. It's, it's about friendship.
1: So you have already answered my next question. What is Occupied about? Thank you. Uh, well, my next question will be, when did you start writing Occupied?
0: Oddly enough, um, it came out of being part of the 2011 camp itself. The very prototype of the writer studio would have been us sitting around a, uh, a, a metal bin with flames of fire coming through, and bonding over stories. And one of the, the discussions we had would be if somebody was to base a TV show or a radio show on what we were doing at the camp and how we got along with one another and the sort of things that people would come up and say to us. And there were some really funny stories. I think about a year or two after that, I wrote my first treatment for Occupied as a radio play and then shortly after as a television piece and another radio treatment. And then about 2015, I set to work on fleshing out the characters and the root of the story. I made a couple of comic books that I did in my 24-hour comic style. So the last couple of years, I really got to knuckle down and lay out the root of the story and where it was going to go. And of course, now we have the 10th anniversary of the Occupy movement coming up. And that just seemed to be an ideal date to aim for.
1: What can you tell us about the writing process?
0: The plot of the novel is largely based on real things that happened. So I I went and did an awful lot of research and sort of established a timeline of of those news stories, the calendar that the Belfast Occupy group followed in terms of their their protests. So they would do one a weekend on a Saturday, but also special events reacting to the world around them, like the forced evictions all across America. I interviewed a bunch of ex-campers for their stories, Partly to re my memory, um, but I got a few extra as well that have made it into the book. And of course, my own memories of that. So the first draft was just write, write, write everything down. And that made perfect sense to me. and It looked like a finished work, but as any writer will tell you, that's utter nonsense. So you go through it again, the second draft, and you try to make everything look really polished. And then you've got a decent novel but of course it's it's terrible so you have to go through it again you go through the whole book by the fourth draft i'm readying it for my editor who in this case is a marvelous claire byrne um and she would do a fifth draft well not so much a, a rewrite just notes commentaries so i would go in and i would draft it again in relation to claire's commentaries and to my own things that i've spotted And then I go in for a seventh draft, which I'm currently on, where I look again for typos and things that don't make sense in continuity. And I'm keeping a list of these things that I have to to fit in somewhere. Yeah, it's quite an exhaustive process. It's really taken about three years going in hard on the document itself, which I think is about 120,000 words, coming close to 600 pages. What can you tell us about the characters of this book? Well, they're a bit of a varied sort. You've got Padraig, who has really no interest in the movement at all. He's just initially just there for the laughs. And that's the way the other characters look at him. Leon, who's his next door neighbor, is radical feminist who wants to overturn the system of how things are. And she wants it all right away. You've got Owen, who cares just a little too much about what they're trying to accomplish. He has these massive plans and he sort of becomes a a point of view character, sort of a a soft leader. And then you've Kat, who is just this incredible organiser and manager And they're pretty much all in their 20s, but you have older characters like Levin, who's the voice of reason. Brona, who's incredibly caring and nurturing, and she's looking after the camper's well-being, but she's also a divisive force who sort of excels at starting arguments and kind of relishes that. And then you have Bob, who is his old-age pensioner, who is a total curmudgeon, a total grump, and he seems to be quite something of a a reader favourite. They're a bit of across the age ranges, although they're all after the same end goals. Those end goals are pretty much unattainable. So they have to find a way to work towards those with their different perspectives and making uses of their uh, different skills together. Sometimes they surprise one another with some of the things that they, they want to do.
1: Will there be love
0: lives or a romantic angle of
1: this story?
0: Yes, there's a few romantic relationships Obviously, with the camp setting, it's a, very, it's a very odd place. You've got a group of people who are relying on each other and living together very closely, and they're very cold. So you're going to need to warm up in a manner of sitting out there in the northern Irish winter. Relationships are a big part of it. There's a complete lack of privacy. Secrets are not kept for very long. Your next-door neighbour is pretty much in the same room as you. And, and the wind blows those secrets in all directions. So, so by and large, those characters, everything is public. And some of those relationships bubble away quite nicely and others are, are quite on the nose. A lot of the book is about how they relate to each other and how they find one another.
1: Do you relate yourself to any of the characters?
0: Kat is an organizer. She is a manager and she is a workaholic. She's intent on covering every angle. She's a perfectionist like this. She often overworks herself to the detriment of her health. So I certainly see some reflection of Kat in myself that is both virtuous and quite negative. Yeah. Some of the characters kind of began on paper as as people I knew or they became composites. So an element of two or three people sort of mashed together. For example, Owen was initially based on a friend of mine and changed radically. Leon actually started as a, a bit of a joke character. She was a, she was a sort of a one-note parody of a radical extremist feminist, but actually grew to become a much more nuanced character. I, I kind of saw her getting away with sorting through her issues and realizing her ambitions. And although she likes to stir the shit a bit, she's Quite a lot of fun to write and, and to read. So I, th- I think Leon ends up as my favorite character in the book.
1: How have your early readers responded?
0: Right. So I've got a small group of like five other writers who have been reviewing it and sending me feedback. And I think the early chapters they found quite challenging because I have quite a lot of characters, although we have six lead characters, good extended supporting cast of I think another 10, 12 characters i found that my, my peer group have have settled into finding their favourite characters and their favourite scenes. Uh, a lot of people have gravitated to, towards Bob, the 70-year-old with the, the gruff manner, and he seems to be a breakout star at this point. Others quite enjoy Padraig, who I've to admit is also a lot of fun to write for. And what sort of reader do you think might appeal to? All ages of adults. So obviously people enjoy political comedy or activists themselves are probably going to gravitate towards this. If politics are a no-no for the reader, um, that would be a shame because it's it's not necessary to invest in it in order to enjoy it and in order to learn something from it as well. It's, it's At its core, it's quite a universal story. It's about friendships and family. And there are various mysteries and quests within the book what happens once the characters step outside to camp into different environments. So basically the story covers about eight weeks in real time, like about three or four chapters each week. And the, the camp has its own structure. They have weekly demonstrations, followed by a, a carnival of resistance, which is kind of like a, an open house for the camp. People are invited to come in in mass and uh, listen to music and be entertained, with face painting and football. And people share meals and have teach and there's tutorials. And it, it sounds here like I'm pitching the Occupy movement itself, which apart from the, the pandemic, wouldn't be a bad thing if that returned. What I'm trying to say is there's an awful lot of those elements of structure in the book, which I've tried to make as interesting as possible.
1: So, as I have understood from your description of the book, it's not only written for entertainment, but it's also educational.
0: Yes, Edutainment is something I'm quite fond of doing. I think it's one of the most interesting sort of things to read, something that teaches you stuff but through the back door. So you're you're sitting there giggling at it or, or just in love with one of the characters in the page or, or really engaging with them. And all the while these facts are going into your system, it's it's a good way to learn something. You get you get leveled up. What do you want to teach your readers? The central message of the book is that. People are beautiful, which I feel I feel funny saying because I was just complaining to somebody earlier. how I hate the whole human race. So yeah, there's definitely an element that being out there in reality and the public can be quite dangerous too. And it's good to be tuned into as near as you can get to the truth of things. I, I don't believe there is one shared truth, but there is large clusters, and you can, you can find other people who are as beautiful as you, and you can act together and have your decisions informed responsibly. Practically, you can do something to change the system, even if it just means slowing the system down so that it needs to move in a different way. There's a a wealth of history around social activism from Greenpeace, Amnesty International, War on Want, Oxfam, and they all have plenty of ways of of getting involved. We can pick up a pen, pick up an email and start writing and start talking to people who do have the power to to make things happen as well as organising at a grassroots level, uh, recycling, local gardening, supporting your local community centre, your non-profit food bank. There's all manner of little things that we can do that have impactful consequences.
1: I want to thank you for this fascinating interview. It was really interesting to listen to you and to your description, to your feelings about this book, about its its motives, its... I forgot the word. <laughs> okay, I want to thank you. Investment into you, into this interview.
0: Thank you very much, Kathleen. It's been a very exciting time here. Just putting together the, the final pieces on Occupied. This is a novel I've had... A connection with, like, like nothing I've, I've really done in my 25 years creating stuff, and I, I really hope people love it.
1: I already love it. Cheers. I hope to get a copy of this book.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Amazon are currently selling print and digital copies of Chaos Magic, Collected Poems 2011 to 2020 by Andy Luke. You'll soon be able to pre-order Occupied on my author page ahead of its release on October 15th. An extended preview is already available on patreon.com forward slash Luke. I'm a full-time creative developer. Patreon is my only steady monthly wage. Many Patreons by bigger names give you one post per month beginning at the $5 or $10 level. Not me. Everyone from the $1 level up gets four creative products per month. That's one to two big things like a comics archive, novel excerpt or short story, poetry or flash fic and early access to the Drunlook podcast. On top of that there's two blog posts. Everyone gets bespoke Christmas and birthday cards mailed to their doors and higher tier subscribers usually get something extra. The hard nod is most everything here is behind a paywall. One dollar per month and bloody good value. And you're charged on the first of every month so it's easy to remember.
1: Remember to subscribe at patreon.com forward slash
0: I'd like to say a big thank you to my current patrons, Art Knipe, Arsalan Hyder Ali, Michael Daly, Ian Lawther, Benjamin Stone, Peter Duncan, John Robbins, Andrew Bolster, Catalina Koslova, David Annette, Michael Duckett, Phil Weir, Richard Wang, Alan Royal, Bob McCulloch, Claire Byrne, and Yerka Yemrick. Thanks to Dr. Chris McCauley for designing the Drunlook logo. Huge shout out to Nerdgeist.com, an ace site which covers a spectrum of entertainment and culture. Including TV, film, technology, comics, music, theatre, games, exhibitions, books, anime, collectibles, festivals, conventions, with reviews, features, and interviews. During the first year of the Druinlick podcast, Nerdgeist's Dave Cromie has expanded on our subject matter with writings about Always Sunny, Angel, Baywatch Nights, Teachers, Oink, Serenity, Belfast City of Light. FX's is Shield, and Marvel's New Universe. If you're interested in hearing more about Occupied, there's a scholarly episode on sociological fiction. You can find us on 16 podcast carriers, including Spotify, iTunes, Anchor FM, Spreaker, and Stitcher. I'm taking a month off the pod. It'll be back in November, most likely featuring a retrospective on the Bwahaha-era Justice League International. In coming months I hope to line up shows on Blake Seven and Press Gang. Please like, share, subscribe, review and send feedback. I'm on Twitter as Andrew Luke and on Facebook as Andy Luke Author. ta